Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblett. He is preaching from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. Good morning, Church of the Beloved. Uh, my name is Clint. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to preach to us this morning uh, and uh, as a way of showing just how faulty and fallen and sinful I am, uh, I'm going to try to speak something, and it's going to be awful. Gunshi fa sata. That's the best I can get to blessing be to you on New Year's. Uh, you guys are far too kind. Uh, I deserve ridicule for that. Um, just abject ridicule. As a matter of fact, I tried uh, to have my Korean in order. There was a, a number of people visiting for the holidays. Over Christmas, I was going to try to say Merry Christmas to them or welcome in Korean, and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced, and then those people didn't come the week that I was there. And I was like, but I got that one, actually. I know I butchered that one. So, Kevin, thank you for your short lesson very quickly, uh, but I'm trying. Uh, today... Uh, We get to continue on in John. I'm very excited about this passage of Scripture from John that was read to us. Here's why I'm excited. I think one of the things that is going to happen this coming year at COTB uh, is we're going to continue to grow closer together in intimacy, and with intimacy comes mandates. And this is the exciting part about friendship, about romance, about family, about anything that you are close in with other people. Whenever there is intimacy, whenever people grow closer in bonds together, there is always change that happens. Inevitably, you always change. And if you don't change, if you're trying to grow closer to somebody and you yourself aren't changing, it's an indication that actually you're not that intimate with somebody. You're, you're not changing at all, as a matter of fact. I'm going to speak about more on this at our congregational meeting. So uh, please, if you are here with us and you want to check out what COTV is doing, Stay. It's not just for covenanted members. Covenanted members will vote. However, anybody can attend and hear what's going on. And I'm going to try to vision cast, vision drip a little bit about pastoral care in the coming year and some things we hope to see happen. But let me just succinctly say relationships, intimacy, means two things fundamentally, I think. One, it means a choice. The first thing that we understand about relationships is that it means a choice. Uh, If you are involved with somebody romantically, friendship, uh, church-wise, anything, it's a choice that you make. You don't have to be in relationship with people. Uh, You don't have to be in relationship with God. You choose to be in relationship with God. Uh, And and maybe some of you who grew up in in certain circles, I grew up in a reformed circles, maybe your light bulbs are just blinking right now like, oh no, that's not what I understood. I understood that God chooses me. Yes, of course he chooses you. Uh, That is true. But if you are with him, it's because you want to be with him. God is not an unloving God. He's a loving God. and would never force you into relationship with him if you don't want it. So that's the first thing. And the second thing about relationships is that there's a mandate. Whenever you're with somebody, there are mandates that come with relationships. Um, And and let me try to, to flesh this out a little bit more. As I do marriage counseling or as I speak to people who uh, have have gotten into uh, relationships in which they produce children, um, I'm talking about sex, 
It's okay to talk about sex at church. The Bible talks about sex. It's totally fine. But as I talk to parents, soon-to-be parents, parents uh, that are expecting to receive their first one or second one, as well as marriage counseling, we typically walk through and they say, okay, hey, I'm getting married, or I'm, I'm becoming a parent. Um, what do I need to know? What, what, what are some rules? And they get out notepads and they start taking down notes. And I say, don't take down any notes. Don't take down anything. Marriage you're choosing to be with somebody, and children, you chose to have intimate relationships with somebody in which to produce a child, means this, you will change. Marriage changes you. Parenting changes you. As a matter of fact, pastoring changes you. It's not often that we talk about uh, uh, close relationships being only choice. It must be mandates. And it's far often in my experience as a pastor that it's what God wants to do in me more so than what God wants to do through me that matters. Being a pastor, being a husband, being a father is more about what God wants to do in me than it's what God wants to do through me. Uh, and there's a really bad, bad pastoral joke, uh, so I apologize. But if God can choose a donkey to speak through, he can sure use me, uh, is the joke. And if you don't know that reference, forget it. God did, in fact, choose a donkey to speak um, to a prophet. And if that's the case, uh, any jackass will do is the full joke. So jackass is an animal. It's okay. Already, the, the bingo card ain't hitting today, y'all, okay? As we talk about these close, intimate relationships, I want to talk, I want to show you, actually, through John, I want to show you how, in this passage, intimacy demands change. Change reflects intimacy. And if you don't have intimacy, you won't change. And if you don't have change, you can't be close to somebody. And the reason being, because friends, friends, longing for somebody means you care enough about them to serve them. And if you don't want to serve them, you don't care for them. God is a good father who cares so much about us, he served us. And if we care for him, we will serve him. Now, this presents a problem for us. What I just said presents a problem. Here's why it presents a problem. I think if I understand our worldly wisdom, our worldly wisdom does not like what I just said. Our worldly wisdom says, no, 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 pastor. I just have longing. I have desire. Don't put restrictions. My love is open. And, and don't, don't try to institutionalize my love. Oh, really? I'm going to get to that in a moment. I, that's not true. Here's, here's the, the worldly wisdom of today. Let me put it in some uh, world-famous artists. Here's what they say about it. Uh, they say, you need to shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> You're beautiful just the way you are. When I see your face, there's not a thing that I would change. That's, yeah, come on. Somebody, I was going to say, somebody's going to start singing, because, girl, you're amazing just the way you are. Now, church. <laughs> That's a nice sentiment, isn't it? We like hearing, oh man, oh, they, they love me for me. I don't have to change. I'm beautiful. I'm glorious. I'm a diamond. All I have to do is shine bright. Here's the problem with that. We know deep, deep down that's wildly untrue. We know that about ourselves. We like the sentiment on speaking it on behalf of others. But when it talks about, when we think about ourselves, we know, oh, I am no diamond. Oh, I, I, I'm not perfect just the way I am. I, I know my, my dark secrets. 
I know that there's a problem. The problem is this, deep down we know that all of what we're saying is not true. We know that the artists maybe want to show an indication. It shows us a hope of what we want. Don't we hope to be presented as beautiful and blameless and, and righteous in front of people? Now, I was debating whether to use this, um, and, and I think I am going to use it. Uh, and I'm going to look at my wife as I use the example, and she could shut me down at any moment. You have that permission, okay? I know. Buckle up. <laughs> Here we go. My, my wife is beautiful. Uh, she, is, she is gorgeous. On our wedding day, uh, my wife spent six hours, eight hours preparing. Okay, probably. She says yes. Six to eight hours preparing. And when she walked down the aisle, the doors opened up. She had her hair done, her makeup done. She was in this beautiful gown. To this day, I've never seen my wife do her hair, makeup, and dress like that ever again. It was a one-time deal. And she started coming down. And I, my favorite part when I do weddings is I actually don't look at the bride. I look at the, the groom. I love seeing their reaction. And I, I started weeping. I said, oh, there's my bride. She's beautiful. Okay, now church, she's still beautiful. Does she look the same that she does on our wedding day? Or maybe let me personalize this. Do I look the same I looked on my wedding day? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I went on a diet. I got put up in a tux. I was looking prim and, and great. And then life happened, and I was like, oh, forget that. I hope my wife still finds me handsome. I find her beautiful. But we all know the reason why we do weddings that way, the reason why we have pomp and circumstance, the reason why we get dolled up or gussied up is because we know we could be more beautiful. See, deep down, psychologists are telling us that we know we have a problem. By the way, she didn't shake her head one time that I couldn't start saying that, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. We all deeply know that we are not diamonds. We all deeply know that it's not the truth. You know events, conversations. You know a, a, when you hold a meeting at work, or you know when you speak to a friend, or you know you leave and you go, oh, I blew that, didn't I? Oh, that wasn't my, oh man, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. And you fixate on it. You focus on it, and you go, I can't be this way. Why am I this way? Why am I thinking these things? See, psychologists have shown us this is true for years and years and years. And, and instead of getting into the minutia of that, let me just say this. We all have guilt and shame. Every last one of us has guilt and shame present in our lives. Now, here's why it's a problem. When I said earlier, we're not diamonds. We, we, we don't shine bright. We need something else. It's a problem because we don't know the solution. Because we like to think the sentiment is great. I'm beautiful just the way I am. And yet, and yet, I know personally I'm not. The problem is we don't know what to do with our shame and guilt. Culturally, we have no clue what to do. Here are some ways in which we do it. Here are some ways in which we deal with our shame and our guilt and our remorse and our, our, our internal understanding of just how depraved we are. We do a, a few things, uh, and this comes from Genesis. If you go through Genesis and you understand the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the same exact problem. See, Adam and Eve were walking around in the garden. They were completely naked. They were completely transparent. They were completely bare in front of God. And then sin came in. And what was the first thing they did when sin entered? They grabbed fig leaves. Which, by the way, I don't know if y'all understand what a fig leaf is. Like, get a different, get a palm leaf or something. Like, what were y'all doing? They grabbed fig leaves and they covered themselves because they knew all of a sudden their eyes were, we are guilty and we are ashamed and we are not. 
Sin entered and they had guilt and shame come upon them instantly. Now, they fig-leafed their way through life. And we do the same thing. We fig-leaf through our life. And you say, Pastor, how, how do we do that? What, what do you mean fig-leaf? Adam and Eve were aware of just how broken they were and they hid because they started putting things on because they couldn't stand to be bare in front of God because they knew. They knew, church. Oh, friends, they knew. Just like we know. How do I know? Let's, let's go down the list of ways in which we cope, shall we? We go shopping. How many of you think, oh, I had a really bad week, I had a really awful week. I know, I need a new shirt, I need a new jacket, I need a new address, I need a new... By the way, that, this is me. Uh, my wife knows, it, it, oh, you went to J. Crew to get a new jacket, are you doing okay? <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> we shop. What else do we do? Some of us go shopping. Some of us ascend in our career. If I'm, a, if I'm a bad friend, if I'm a bad lover, if I'm a bad person, I know I, at least I can produce things. At least I can make things happen. Others of us have lots of sex. We think to ourselves, shopping gives us an endorphin rush, right? And we feel so good afterwards. Oh, it's a new me. It's a, I put on this shirt. I feel good. Some of us ascend career. I might, be, I might be a horrible, horrible person to be around, but you know what? At least I get things done. And some of us say, I just want to feel good. So we have lots of sex. Again, endorphin rush or intellect. Well, at least, at least I read lots of books. At least I can hide behind my intellectual acumen. See, we know just how depraved we are because we see people who try to go all the way with certain aspects of our lives that are just fig leaves. It's covering up for our guilt and shame. It's saying, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't know what to do about it. Church, can I encourage you today? There's a better solution. Your shame, your guilt, your times in your life in which you have the thoughts, in which you have the actions, in which you have the words, in which you say, I, I'm not good, I'm not great. Stop trying to fix it. Don't go shopping. Don't have lots of sex. Unless you're married, then please have enjoyable sex. Don't, don't, don't climb the intellectual ladder. Don't climb the career ladder. All of those can be taken from you. And your guilt and shame will still be there. And you'll go from one fix to the next fix to the next fix, trying to search out. This is the Garden of Eden story, church. This is what sin has done to us. We like to think, yes, I am a diamond. Yes, I am Yes, I am good just the way I am. And yet, we know that's not... I don't have to look at other people. I don't have to point to other people. I just point to myself. When somebody says, oh, uh, pastor, people meet me and they find out I'm a pastor. Pastor, oh, you, you're the best of the best. And I go, please stop. I'm a decrepit sinner of sinners. Now, here's the solution. Instead of fig-leafing your way through life, instead of adding more plaque onto your already sullied exterior, instead of saying, I can fake it until I make it, don't do that. Here's the solution I want to propose to you today from John. We can be completely transparent in front of a true friend who covers us with a new identity. Church, your guilt and shame, the only way it can be taken... The only healthy way it can be taken is if we can be completely transparent in front of a true friend who covers us with a new identity. How do I want to show you that? I want to show you a deeper intimacy. I want to show you actually what true nakedness looks like. I want to show you humility. And then the second thing, I want to show you how to receive gifts well. I want to show you the provision that Christ gives us. I want to show you the true identity in which he clothes us, meaning that we first must be truly naked humility, 
And then next, I want to show you the gifts we receive. I want to show you the provision from Christ. And I want you to leave with this understanding. And I'll explain this. His righteousness exposes us, but his sacrifice covers us. I'll say it again. His righteousness exposes us. We're going to come to find out we are we are broken, solid things. And it's only because we know how righteous Christ is. It's only because we know how perfect he is. But his sacrifice covers us. So if you have guilt and shame of any aspect of your life, if you feel inadequate, if you feel less than, if you know you're not hitting the mark, I don't want you to leave today thinking, I don't know what to do with my shame and guilt. I want you leaving, I know exactly what to do with my shame and guilt. That his righteousness exposes me, but his sacrifice covers me. First, I want to show you this true nakedness, this intimacy that exposes us, humility. In verse 29 of chapter 2, John tells us, He is righteousness. Anyone who does right is of him. Now, what John has done, it's a very, very succinct, it's a very short verse, but what he's done is actually quite profound. When he says he, Christ, is the righteousness, he's undercut our view that we are the standard, that we are diamonds. He's completely and totally made an exclusive claim. He has not said Christ is one of the righteous. Do you notice that? He didn't even say Christ is a model of righteousness. He didn't say that. What did he say? What did John say? He says this, he, Christ, is righteousness. Now, here's why that exposes us. Here's why that gets us. Here's, a, here's why that, that confronts us. John dismisses our cultural answer of how we deal with shame and guilt. How we typically deal with shame and guilt is, again, like I said, we cover, we fig leaf, and we also go through this understanding of we can't all be that bad. We're not all that bad. Some of us are good. I need to progress to being good. I need to ascend to being good. But when John says, no, 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 church, friends, he is righteous, meaning you are not. Now, Here's why this is actually really, really good news for you and I. I'm going to show you why us, John saying to us, guess what, church? Guess what, hearers? You're not good. And we go, hey, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Thanks, pastor. This is really, really encouraging. I want to show you why it's encouraging. I want to show you why it's a warm blanket around us. Because we cannot live in a world that says everything here is good. I can't live in a world, and if you can live in a world, I want to know how you can do it that says everything around us is good. Yes, multiple mass shootings in California is good. Yes, a, a child sitting on a stoop in the south side of Chicago that was mistaken for a gang member, but is in fact a mentally handicapped child gets shot. No, that's good. No, pastor, we're diamonds everywhere. We just have to shine brighter. Really? If you believe that, I really want to talk to you and I really want to say, how do you explain this? And we say, well, there's some bad apples, of course. You can't, don't compare the bad apples with the rest of us. Church, friends, can we stop pretending that we're as good as we think we are? Can we stop thinking to ourselves that every single little thing that we do in life that tries to get self-promotion, that tries to fig leaf our way up is because we know that we deep down are broken inside and we just don't know what to do with it? John tells us, I know what to do with it. I know how to free you. I know what to say. Because if you live in a world that says, no, everything here is paradise. You, everybody's a diamond. It just needs to shine more. Do you know what you actually, if everything is a diamond that shines, do you know what you can't say to me? 
that anything is wrong. You can't say to me the injustices of the world are wrong. You can't say to me that, that people not eating and not having drinking water and not having education and not having a full home is wrong. You can't say that. All we can say is they just need to shine brighter. Now, church, wait a second. Doesn't that sound a little bit like work righteousness? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Pastor, it's, we, just need to, we just need to progress. We need to be better. You guys ever met somebody in a third world country that is harder worker than anybody you've met here? And they're not rich and fabulous. It's not just hard work. It's not just doing better. It's us saying, the problem is not us blaming people more. That, the problem is, I don't blame myself enough. Now you say, no, 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 self-esteem is more important. Clint, Pastor, the, the child inside of you really needs to come out. You need to let that, that child live. You're, doing, you're, you're being too hard on yourself. Actually, the very first thing, the ultimate transparency, the ultimate nakedness, the ultimate humility is to say this. It's disingenuous to say that everybody just needs to shine bright like a diamond. It's totally disingenuous. Because if we say that, if we truly believe that, then you can't tell me that there's anything wrong with the world. You just need to tell people to shine brighter. Well, what if they're brightly shining is mistaking handicapped children for gang members and shooting them? Shine brighter with that? That doesn't make sense. Well, no, deep down they know they're good. How do they know they're good? Do you see the problem in which we say, if everything is good, you're perfect just the way you are, there's no chance to say, this is the best version we have? I can't, I can't live in that world. Maybe you can, and if you can, please come tell me how, but I can't live in that world. Instead, here's what we need to say. We need to say, there is a straight edge. There is a standard. There is perfection out there. Because just conversely, we can't say this is perfect. We also can't say there's no perfection. We can't say this is perfect or there's no perfection, so just do whatever you can. We can't say either of those things because we think that the world needs help. And I agree, amen, the world needs help. Amen, friends. Instead, we need to say this. Okay, I can't live as if there's no straight edge, there's no standard. And I can't say I'm the standard. What must I say? Ah, exactly what John said. Christ is the standard. How do you know a line is crooked? Have you guys done those? those what? This goes back to the color that's outside. Is it blue or black? We don't know what it is. We're just guessing. What happens when, if you weren't here for that one? Cervantes painted some doorways. There's a big discussion if it's blue, black, gray, and it wasn't resolved. Here's why it's not resolved. Because we don't have something to compare it to. If we brought in paint samples and we put the paint samples up and we said, this is black, this is blue, this is gray scale, we'd be able to distinguish and identify See, we live a life in which we say, without a straight edge, all we're doing is our best guess to what's good. All we're doing is the best guess to what's perfect. All we're doing is the best guess to what's gold. With Christ, uh, we know what's good. And we could say, the reason why we look at the world and say that mass murdering is evil and wrong is because Darwinian says they're just weaker. We took care of it. Ooh, hold on, that sounds weird. Nature eating nature, that sounds weird. We need to be better. Well, we need to change what's better. Better is actually caring for these people. First time in the history of the world we've ever said that. It's a brand new thing. Okay, so what's, what's John's solution? John's solution is to say, I don't know what's good, but he is. I will follow his standard. I will follow his rule. I will follow his example. That's what it means. 
Uh, here, let me try to hammer home the point a little bit more. We live in the land of Lincoln, right? Abe Lincoln, fantastic president. One of the most voted every single time. George Washington's the most uh, liked president ever. It's only because he was the first. When people are like, why do you like him? They're like, I don't know, I just know him. Abe, Honest Abe comes up and we say, hey, why do we like Honest Abe? And they go, oh, Emancipation Proclamation. He freed the slaves. He was Honest Abe. He fought the good fight. He won the war. He did the good thing. Now, out on the West Coast, about a number of years ago, statues of Honest Abe were coming down all over the place. Honest Abe, the, the emancipator, the man who freed the slaves in America, statues are coming down because people found out rightly, rightly, they found out he had horrible, horrible interactions with native indigenous people. And because of those horrible interactions in which people were tried in sham trials and were executed, people said, oh no, oh no. Honest Abe, what did you do? So they started removing his statues, started taking them down. See, what we do in life is we try to search for heroes. We try to search for honest Abes. The man literally freed slaves in America, and we're taking his statue down now. Church, even the best of us aren't the standard. Even the most honest among us cannot be the standard. Why? Because if I dig long enough in your life, guess what I'm going to find? A whole lot of dirt. You dig around Honest Abe long enough, what are you going to find? A whole lot of dirt. See, when we say, no, 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 no. We have good things. We have great things. We can make it. We just need it. The best of us, the greatest of us. Have, have you freed a nation full of slaves? If you have... Where's your statue, first of all? But even if we put it up, do you know what would happen in a number of years? We would take it down. See, again, why is this good news? Church, this is why it's good news. Good news is because you could stop being good. Stop being good. Stop faking it till you make it. Stop fig leafing your way through life. In an incredible, incredible show that I, I loved, the season finale of it happened, or the series finale of it happened. This man uh, was a lifelong criminal, was murdered people, uh, had drug deals, made millions and millions of dollars, horrible, horrible things all across the board, got ruined lives, and he was a lawyer. And at the end of this series finale, he gets, he gets caught, he gets arrested, and people are saying, oh, we're going we're gonna to nail you, we have so much evidence against you, we're going to hammer you. And he fig-leafed his way through, and he lawyered up, and he fought and clawed and scratched. And instead of doing life in prison, he was going to get a plea deal for, I think, like two to three years. Because he was so good at his job. He was so, he just knew how to finesse things perfectly. He shined bright for himself. And at the end of it, at the end of it, he, he goes through all this. He's about to only get two to three years in jail. He's about to, oh, my gosh, thank goodness. I'm not going to spend my whole life in jail. This is great. I've won. And there was a close friend of his that was at the trial. And because he was close to her, she just sat in the back and she just stared at him. She didn't say anything. She just, her presence, her closeness, he knew what I'm doing is not right. What I'm doing isn't good. What I'm doing isn't great. And all of a sudden, midway through his trial, he stops and he says, I'd like to enter a guilty plea because I did all those things and I need to go to jail for life. And all of a sudden, 
this weight lifts off him. In one of the most iconic scenes, she visits him in jail. He goes to jail, they visit in jail, and it's just one scene, and, and she hands him a cigarette, and they light up the cigarette, and he inhales and he exhales, and this exhale is relief. He goes, it's over. I don't have to run. I don't have to hide. I'm free. He felt more free in that moment with the repercussions and the consequences of his life than he did outside without the consequences of his life because he was honestly and completely transparent. Church, this is good news because at the end of it, you don't have to keep convincing us you're good. You don't have to keep convincing us you're great. You don't have to keep convincing us you get rest. Now, there's a problem with that too. That's ideal. Isn't it that ideal to, com to be completely known, to be completely naked, to com completely transparent to somebody else, to confess all of your sins to somebody? Doesn't that feel good? You haven't experienced that. It feels great. Now, there's a problem with that. If we convince or if we confess some of the stuff we did publicly, we would get canceled, wouldn't we? We would be toast. We'd be done. We'd be fired. Friends wouldn't want to hang out with us. Nobody would want to come over to our house. We say, no, 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 I can't be open and honest. I can't be intimacy like that. I can't have that. I have to fig leaf because no one would accept me. Ah, point two. Once you're humbled, once you understand that Christ is righteousness and that exposes us, that shows us that we're not righteous. Point two, receive his gifts. It says in verse 228, he says, dear children. In verse 3, 1, John tells us that Christ lavish gifts upon us, being called children of God. Do you know the only way that you'll ever admit that you are faulty and broken and sinful and not diamond? Do you know the only way you'll ever, ever, ever be that transparent and that intimate with somebody? Is you have a contract obligation that they cannot ever leave you nor forsake you. Then you'll be open. Why are marriage covenants so important when it says, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, and we all say, oh, yes, sure, if my wife, if my husband gets sick, if we get poor, if we lose money, let me change it. When you get sick, when you lose money, when you lose your beauty, when you aren't able to perform, you're in a covenant that says, I'm not leaving you nor forsaking you, and only death can take me from you. Why? Uh, because it has nothing to do with how you perform. It has everything to do with how I give to you. I lavish this gift upon you. That's what a covenant is. And the only way that you'll ever enter into a relationship like that, closeness like that, is if you know I will never, ever, ever be thrust out. See, when God says, dear children, when, when John says God is telling us, dear children, what he is doing is this. He is calling us a father, and a father can't remove his children from his life. Now, uh, my Cohen the other day, I, I named him my second child, opened a, 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 a cabinet in my home. And he doesn't know his own strength. He's a very strong young man. And so he opened the cabinet, and he was very excited. He was getting on a board game, and he was, he was so excited. And he flung it off, and it broke off. And I come downstairs, and all I see is the, the cabinet door down, and I'm looking around, and no child is in the area. And I'm like... What has happened right now? Like, I'm, I'm all of a sudden turned CSI. I'm, like, trying to understand, like, what's the crime scene here? And all of a sudden, I go, Cohen, where are you? And he's, he's hiding from me. I say, Cohen, where are you? He, and, and he goes, here. And he's under blankets and pillows on the couch. So I remove the blankets and I remove the pillows. I say, buddy, what happened? He goes, Dad, I, 
broke the cabinet and he puts his head down. And I grab his head and I lift it up. I go, thanks for telling me, buddy. He goes, I'm so sorry, Dad. I say, son, thank you for telling me. Do you want to fix it with me? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Gets all excited. And I say, son, I'm not going to get rid of you because you broke a cabinet door. <laughs> You're not out of the will. You're not out of the estate. I'm not booting you from the home. You messed up. And then I have a little catechism that I do with my children. I have questions that I ask them. And I say, how much does dad love you? That's my question to them. And the answer is, they, they all respond, so much. I say, what's dad's job? And they go, to love me. I say, great, what's your job? To listen. See, my job as father is to love them. And there's nothing they could do to make me not love them. That doesn't mean there's nothing they could do to make me discipline them. Discipline is loving. <laughs> Church, friends. But there's nothing that, they're not out of the will because they broke the cabinet. They could slander my name. They're not out of the will. They could tell me to go, go up a, a, a creek without a paddle, fill in the blank with other language. They could tell me all sorts of stuff. They will never, ever be booted out of my family. Why? Because I'm their father. The relationship may change. How I re relate to them may change. They may choose to remove themselves, but I will never choose. Why? Why? See, John says, the Father lavishes gifts upon you. Here's how you know you're in a family. Here's how you know you're close to somebody. Here's how you know you're intimate with somebody. How you receive gifts from them. That's how you know you're in a family. Now, uh, I was just with somebody the other day, and they, they were telling me that their brother is not a good gift giver. That's kind of like, here's a gift. And you're like, where did you find this? This doesn't even me. You're like, I know, but here you go. And you're like, okay, okay, I, I, I get it. You're trying right now. You're, you're attempting. See, when we look at what the gifts that God has given us, how do we know we're accepted? How do we know we're in? How do we know we're close? Church, look at the gifts that he gave us. What did he give us? Matthew 2, 50 says this, whoever does the will of my father is my brother and my sister. Church, do you ever feel like you're a person with no flag? I, I feel this sometimes in my life. I don't have a, a, a flag to, I don't have a tribe to be a part of. Uh, I joke all the time, all my reformed friends, I'm, 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 Theologically, I'm, I'm pretty reformed, but they say some things to me that I'm like, oh, that's crazy. What are you talking about? And so I don't fit in perfectly with their system. Uh, and then my other friends that aren't so reformed in theology, I don't fit in with them. I, I wear a, a coat when I'm preaching. You know, they're like, no, get rid of that. Sit on a stool. Have a glass of water. Use analogies all day long. I don't fit with any tribe. Kind of, kind of in the middle. Do you ever feel like you're a person with no tribe because nobody knows you perfectly? Don't you want people to know you? to be intimate with. Christ tells us in Matthew, I've given you a family. Anyone who does the will of my father is my brother and sister, is my mother and father. Family. He's lavished purpose upon us. Micah 6, 8 says, love mercy, do justice, walk humbly with our Lord. You have a purpose in life. Aren't you wondering sometimes, hey, I, I, wish, I, had a, I wish I knew what I was supposed to do when I grow up. <laughs> Maybe, I, I wish I knew what I was supposed to do in this life. He gives us a purpose. Walk humbly. Love mercy. Do justice. Those are your marching orders. So we have a family. We have a purpose. We have a new identity. Galatians 2.20 says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You have a name. You're not nameless. You have a hope. It says in 1 John 3.2, when Christ appears, we will be like him. Oh, friends, doesn't that sound great? We'll be like him? We'll be made perfect? We'll be shown great and glorious in front of everybody? 
Yes. And then 1 John 2.28, he calls you children. Church, he's given you a name. He's given you a purpose. He's given you identity. He's given you a family. He's given you community. He's given you a way in which to live, to know that you are doing good things. How do you know? Because he's righteousness. And if I'm doing what he's doing, I'm there with him. I love him enough to become like him. Do you see? True community, true identity. Now, lastly, you might say, okay, that, that sounds pie in the sky, Pastor. That sounds really high fluting. Yes, I have an identity, I have a family, this is all great. But I know me, I'm broken, he's righteous, I'll never be like Christ, so I'm going to give up trying. Oh, church, no, 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 no. Don't do that, friends. How do you receive, how do you have this intimacy where his righteousness exposes you, but his sacrifice clothes you? How do you know you have that? I can't make you want that, and I can't make you get that. Isn't that wild about a pastor? I can't make you want that, nor can I make you have that. But you know what I can do? I can show you that you have it. I can show you the fruit of what's happening in your life to give you assurance that that's happening to you. So friends, let me assure you, here's how you know that your guilt and shame is gone and you can stop worrying about it. Here's how you can know that you are a family member of Christ and you could be with him. Here's how you know that you are humble. Ready? Step one. It, and, and it says, John 3, 4, purify yourself as he is pure. 2.29, everyone who does what is right is born of him. You know that you are with Christ. You know that you are, are accepted if these four things happen. I think there's four. There's probably many others, but I think there's four. First, you admit, you, we call it confession in the Christian doctrine. You confess you are not good and he is good. That's step one. Step one, how do I know that my guilt and shame is leaving? You admit you're guilty. You are like that actor, that character that said, I can fight this, but why? It's just so much work. I'm exhausted. I'm guilty. That's the first step. Step one. Step two, you've checked Christ out. You've sought him. You've investigated, and you found, in fact, he is good. You've actually investigated. You've actually checked Christ out. You've said, I'm not good, so somebody has to be good. And you've kicked the tires on Christ. And you said, you know what? This guy checks out. This guy has lived a life. He welcomes sinners. He tells me that all these people are going to be in the kingdom before any of the religious elites are. And you know what? He actually lives the life. He walks the talk. You've investigated Christ and found out that he is good. That's step two. Step three, then you say, because he is good, I receive his good gifts. I want his goodness, not my own goodness. Step one, I'm not righteous. Step two, he is righteous. Step three, because he's righteous, I want what he has to offer. And because of that, knowing his goodness, receiving his gifts, step four, you call yourself a child. Now, friends, this is really hard. Can I just tell you, the world does not speak in this language. I was just having a conversation with somebody. We were talking about leadership. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this more. I'm going to unpack this at a congregational meeting. Leadership is often, often looked at as like the triumphant army general, you know, that goes into war and, ah, charge. Those are horrible leaders, by the way. You know what the, the best leaders are? The best leaders are first servant leaders. When Christ calls the disciples, he says, come and follow me. He doesn't say, come lead with me. He says, come follow. Ooh. That hits me, Pastor. I want, I want to be a shark. I want to be an alpha. No good leaders are that. They're not. Christ says, 
to be accepted into his kingdom. Do you, do you know how degrading it is to be called a child or a sheep in the Bible? Like, just think about it for a second. Do you, have you ever, you guys are all city folk. Y'all been around a sheep before? <laughs> they smell, they roll around in dirt all day long. They're pretty stupid. <laughs> like, man, they just kind of go with everybody else. They get herded by dogs. They get sheared. They get told where to go. They get forced into things. And they just, they're, 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 they're just, they're not lions. They're not eagles. Christ says, come be a child. Come be a sheep. Do you know how absolutely dependent my children are on, uh, for me? Absolutely dependent. Uh, the 49ers are, are playing a playoff game tonight. And Hudson says all the time, he's like, dad, let's go to the game. I'm like, nope. And he goes, fine, I'll go by myself. And I go, cool. Whose credit card are you using? Uh, yours. I'm like, no, you're not. You got to pay for it yourself. And he goes, that's not fair. Okay, logic is missing right now. <laughs> to be a child means I'm dependent on the father, the mother. To be a sheep means I'm dependent on the shepherd. When it says to become a child, church, it's good. It's good to be a child of God. But is it humbling? Very. You're taken care of. You're provided for. You have a home. You have meals. You have a father that loves you. You have an inheritance. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You have everything. Except there's one thing you have to do. Humble yourself. I spoke last week. The rich young ruler came up to Christ and said, I've done everything good. And Christ said, fine, give everything away and follow me. And he said, I can't follow you. I'm the master of my own making. That's what led him, that's what sent the rich young ruler away from Christ. The lavish gifts, it's so hard to receive gifts, church. Isn't it so hard to receive gifts? It's humbling. It's less than, it's lowly. We don't like doing that in our society because we think we're put together, proper, strong, independent people. No, we're not. Friends, no, we're not. We all need each other. We all need Christ because he is righteous. We are not. You are not. Honest Abe is not. I am not. Honest Abe and Abe, like both of them. I, I am not. Everybody is not. He is pretty honest though, by the way. <laughs> I just... Church, to receive Christ's gifts, the only way you'll receive a gift, the only way you'll do that, friends, is if you admit, I have a need but I have a Savior who's given me everything. Do you see? Do you understand? If you think you're good enough, you'll never receive Christ's gifts. But if you're willing to expose yourself to be naked, to fall down, and to say, I'm in need, he says, let me clothe you in majesty. How do I know? He did it. Do you know why it's so important that when Jesus was on the cross, they divvied up all of his clothes and everything that he had? He came completely into this world bare naked, and he left bare naked, mocked, ridiculed, stripped down, nothing. Do you know why that's so important? It's so important because in the Bible, Christ then says, I became nothing so that you can have all of my gifts. I must give, you must receive. I sacrifice, you take. Do you see? If you want clothes with a community, with a family name, with a purpose, and with gifts, you must admit, I am lacking. And if you do, oh, friends, if you do, he is good and faithful to supply. He will not leave you nor abandon you. How do I know? It's already done. Signed, sealed, delivered. He's finished. 
It's over the sacrifice given, the gift given, the church given, his word given, his gifts lavished upon us. Don't you want that kind of friend? If you do, it means this. You must become intimate with him and you must receive what he gives you. If you don't want what he has to give you, you aren't close to him. If you do want what he has, it's because you're there with him. That was not a timer for me. It just so happens I'm now done. It was like perfect timing. So church, let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.